With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Life gets better after you retire. Does life get better? After you retire, you're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrack. Amy out. She'll be back as soon as she gets back from the beach and gets washes off all of the suntan lotion. Now, look, you could be finishing up hopefully a long week of working from home. All right. And you're thinking to yourself the question that I think is on many of your minds these days, and that is, is life going to get any better once you leave this job? Or maybe is life going to get any better once you get a chance to actually leave the house for a while and have maybe a little social interaction? Let's go back in time for a moment to retirement. When I first got in the retirement business, it was easy peasy. All you, you know, people would come in to see us and you would say, well, okay, you've got a pension from XYZ, Millicron, General Motors. You picked the big industrial company at the time and you would say, great, you got a pension. This is your income. Hopefully you don't have a lot of debts. And uh, then the decision was, where will they, Where will you get a mobile home and a Barca lounger, then Lazy Boy, and I don't know what the latest is now. You'd move to Florida, hey, kick back, play some golf, and sit on the beach. At least that was how it was portrayed. Dear friend of mine of blessed memory, Bill Friedlander, once said all of his friends in their 60s retired and went to Florida, started playing golf and figuring out where they were going to go for dinner. And the next thing he knew, by the time they were in their mid-70s, he said, hey, they were all gone. So I asked Bill, I said, when are you going to retire? He said, well, um, how about never? Could we do never? Now, his point was, and I think it was a good one, you got to stay active. you got to do something. And yet the issue, uh, the, 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 the likelihood, that you're going to pick up and go somewhere is actually more myth than it is reality, even though, even though we know that that's the discussion that you hear often. And I know you all know someone who got to age to whatever, packed it up, went south, and you get a card once in a while, and they send you some snotty thing that says, you know, the weather is here, wish you were beautiful. And um, I'm here in Margaritaville. Sorry, you're up in Cincinnati where it's X below zero. In fact, when you look at the 2010 census, only 1.6% of retirees between the ages of 55 and 65 moved across a state line. And I guess from this report, we're not discussing that the Census Bureau said that you moved from Cincinnati to northern Kentucky. While I know it's scenic, I don't think that's what they had in mind. But here's the stats before COVID came around, and maybe it'll be different because you'll want to be in a hot climate for any number of reasons. 57,000 seniors do move to Florida every year. That seems like a lot. Um, And yet, you know, in a country of 300, 250 million people, eh, maybe not so much. Arizona, interestingly, was a distant second, getting about 19,000. 
thousand people a year. And so you might ask yourself, mm, where would you go? I can't tell how many people when you mention the word Florida will say, Oh, Florida, no, I, no, it's too hot or you know, my favorite one is look. Um, it's a swamp, and, uh, you know, you can't – don't retire. One friend of mine says, don't retire anywhere where you can't dig a basement. Uh, that would write off, by the way, uh, New Orleans because it seems that being below sea level, caskets can pop up if not properly secured. And certainly you can't dig much of a basement in Florida because it's right about at sea level, which also explains why hurricanes tend to be so exciting there. But as you think about retirement – I would suggest that it may not ultimately include a move anymore. It may not include a move for one reason. Why do you want to live in a place where there's hurricanes and you're going to have to rebuild every few years? Um, You know, every year that my mother went to Florida, I would go visit her. And then I would say, okay, Mom, so why are we renting here every year for three months? Let's talk about, you know, we should buy it. And the only thing I came up with was that, yes, long term, she made a little bit of money because things got, you know, grew uh, over time. Prices went up. However, the cost to carry the place was definitely more um, than if she just rented and let somebody else worry about it. No, she wouldn't be able to store her clothes there and she'd have to rearrange her life every year when she would go down there and repack it. But it never seemed to quite make sense. And so unless you've got... X number of thousands of dollars, and you'd rather have it sitting in a house instead of sitting in a bank account, which these days hmm, doesn't pay much. Uh, My suggestion is think about uh, where you might go if you want a change of weather. But other than that, the more important question, what are you going to do when you get there? Because retirement, uh, I like what Robert Redford, the actor, said. He said, I'm not going to retire. Somebody said, well, why not? He said, because everybody I know, the next thing that happened after they retired at some point was they died. And so I don't feel like dying, so I don't think I'm retiring. Now, what we do know about happy retirees um, is that the biggest mistake uh, professionally successful people make is attempting to sustain their peak accomplishments indefinitely. This would be the athlete that thinks they can keep hitting lots and lots of home runs even though they can't. And what you need to ask yourself as you think about retirement, is when will you end your career? And the average American plans to end their career at age 65. We know that actually, for reasons sometimes, but more often than not, beyond your control, you're retiring, if you are lucky, at age 62. And I'm guessing that number starts coming down dramatically because in the age of COVID, many of you are probably getting notices saying, thanks, but no, no thanks, And it will come in the form of, oh, we've eliminated your job. And you will say, oh, fooey, not you didn't eliminate my job. You just seem to have gotten rid of all the people of a certain age. And won't that be exciting? But I'm guessing that the average age upon which people are now exiting those careers will be age 62, with some exceptions. If you have knowledge that's based on what I'm going to call crystallized intelligence. That means something in the past that you eventually have a great depth of understanding. As we talk about retirement here on Simply Money, you have a great depth of understanding of a series of events, historical perspective. You're in the Foreign Service, okay, as an example, and it's important to know the uh, history of all the warring tribes and whatever part of the State Department you wind up getting shoved in. Okay, great. That's a career that can go on for a long period of time. People who are the best example of this would be historians, college professors, 
because over time it's building a depth of knowledge. However, today we have another kind of knowledge that's equally important. It's called fluid knowledge. Fluid knowledge works out with grandparents who say, well, I used to know how to work my phone, but, oh, yeah, that was when it was a flip phone. Now it's not a flip phone anymore. It's, oh, it's a smartphone. And, Junior, could you come over here for a minute and show me how do I get to, or what is this thing I got from Instagram, or explain a hashtag to, this is all fluid intelligence because it continues to have to be updated. You have to stay on your game. So what makes for a happy and successful retirement. I'm moving to an area where most of the people are going to be my age. The houses are pretty much the same as the ones I'm living in now. I think I'm right-sizing, not downsizing or upsizing. I'm just getting a place where if I had to be on one floor, it works. But I also know, and I love my suburb. My neighbor Jay picked on me recently because I said, well, it's hard to make friends in suburbs. But it is from the standpoint that if you want to stay inside, and you look outside and there's nothing going on, it's easy to just stay inside and not maybe know your neighbors as well as you might like. What I do know now is that everybody's about my age, a little younger, a little older. I don't think I'm as old as they are when I look at them, but you know, that's just my own uh, mental mirage, if you will, when it comes to my self-image. But what I do know is that we're sort of on the same schedule. When I go out in the morning and get the paper, oh, yeah, hi, how are you? And there's people taking walks, and we're doing some of the same things at the same time. And what I've observed so far about the people in my new neighborhood is that they are healthy. They are exercising. They are walking. One of the first people I met said to me, hey, I can tell you exactly if you want a four-mile walk, here's one. If you want a two-mile walk, here's one. You want a power walk with some hills, here's another one. Got it all on my watch. He'd already done the reconnaissance. Wonderful. So the retire- successful retirees understand health and wellness. And they also have a purpose. you got to have a reason to get up in the morning, or I promise you, it's really easy to slide into a habit where, you know, you get up when you get up, you putter around the house, next thing you know, oh, my goodness, it's, it's time for lunch. And this is what happens to retirees. Retirees also come in several flavors from an advisor's perspective, a financial advisor's perspective. It's those who are so busy, they wonder how they ever worked a 40-hour job. And I'll come in and tell you that. They'll say, oh, my gosh, how did I ever work a 40-hour, 50, 60-hour-a-week job? I mean, I'm doing this. I'm going there. i got the kids. I'm going to the library. I'm in this club. I'm playing this game or that game. I have exercise classes on the next number of days of the week. That's what a successful retiree sounds like. The other ones are coming in and work, worrying about what I'm up to. How am I? How is the account going? Oh, well, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? They're worrying. They are concerned about the job that an investment advisor is doing. Good investment advisors, you shouldn't have to worry. They got it in hand. You know they got it in hand. You've understood you got a long-term strategy, and everything is copacetic. The biggest challenge you'll have in retirement, and whether it's the new retirement or the one you were thinking of before, is this. You've got to stay socially engaged. Now, I used to kid a friend of mine, David. I used to say, well, David and I are like twin brothers from different mothers. You know, I don't have to see David but once or twice a year. And when I see him, good friends don't get reacquainted. They just pick up where they left off. But I'm learning in the age of COVID, it's important to pick up where you left off a lot more often than it has been in the past. Reason? Social isolation, which you will impose on yourself in retirement and will be the single biggest challenge you'll ever have in retirement, so you've got to start working on it now. Social isolation 
is as detrimental to your health as obesity. If you are morbidly obese or you know someone who is and you know the challenges they may have, you can create the same effects for yourself from a health standpoint if you're not involved with your community. So what can you do now? Start thinking about just exactly what makes you happy and try to join communities or live in a community, in my case, where you have a lot in common with the people around you. Simply Money Point, life can be better after you work if you take care of your health, you find some purpose, you're financially confident, and you are surrounded by the right people. Now, have you got kids or grandkids and they've got some student debt? Well, I will tell you there's a good chance they don't know about ways to maybe get around some of those payments and get some relief right now. We'll tell you what you can share with them just ahead in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrack along with Amy Wagner, who is probably starting to wash off the suntan lotion right about now. Some parts of your financial life you can actually automate. Some, of course, you can't. We'll talk about that just ahead at 643. If you've got a child or you have a grandchild and they are struggling right now to pay off student debt in the midst of a pandemic, important to you talk with them and remind them that there is help and there is a good chance as we've come to learn when that they actually don't realize that there is help out there one out of three younger borrowers do not know about student loan relief that was passed by congress chances are i guess if you got three kids at least one of them is clueless i don't know how this bunches up in terms of who uh more specifically but it is certainly wor- is worth asking the question to any of your children or grandchildren, hey, how are you doing with your student loan debt, and did you know? If they look at you and say, uh, what you talking about, go to the U.S. US Department of Education's site. That's www.ed.gov. And, uh, by the way, another reason that we recommend the federal loans instead of private loans is because, oh, yeah, they are a lot more flexible right now. And those private loans, yeah, they tend to not, uh, look, those are people running businesses. They're get, get, they have guarantees from the government, but those nonetheless are private loans. And they can set any terms they really want until the government comes in and says, no, no, no. So in the meantime... Remind your children, if they're thinking about uh, taking out student loans, get all the federal loans you can first. And if you have a federal loan, make sure your kids know that if they weren't aware of all the options that are available right now, go to www.ed.gov. Now, every Sunday, uh, the the Simply Money column runs in the Cincinnati Inquirer, and you can also view it starting now at Cincinnati.com. We preview it for you with a few editorial comments, and we do that every Friday. The first question came from Carla in Claremont County. She said, my father just passed away, leaving my mother a widow. What financial steps should she and my family take now? The first thing I'm going to say when someone passes away, you do not have to, other than the obvious expenses of a funeral, you don't have to be in a rush to do anything. I'm very sorry for Carla's loss. I'm reminded, though, of both when my mother 
died and when my father or when my father died and when my father-in-law died the first thing i would suggest is you get some help and make sure that that help is not directly related to the person who passed away An example when my mother when my father passed away my mother was in florida they had a place down there we went down to clean it out well i will tell you i would pick up a picture and it would be a picture from 20 years ago with our family. And the next thing you know, I've been daydreaming for 15 minutes. In the meantime, my wife has packed three boxes and is looking at me and going, what are you doing? The point of that story is she was able to stay focused because as much as she loved my dad, it wasn't her dad. It was my dad. And she didn't get hung up in all the memorabilia and all the trinkets and all the uh, things that I had seen sitting on a coffee table for 40 years because she'd only known my dad for, at that point, about 10. Yeah, she missed him, and yeah, my father always used to defend my wife when the rest of the family would pick on her, just as her mother did the same for me, by the way, when my wife's brothers, Kenny and Barry, yes, I'm calling them out, uh, would pick on me, and she would come to my defense. But the fact of the matter is she was emotionally detached, and that is helpful. Other than that, start just getting the documents. When somebody passes away, just start figuring out where everything is and build a profile. And don't do anything rapidly. In my community, we don't put a headstone on a grave for a year. And I remember when we walked away from my father-in-law's grave after we had unveiled the the headstone a year later, and my mother-in-law, Gloria Wolfson, said to me, yeah, Now I can go forward. It takes some time to heal. And if you make decisions in the heat of battle, so to speak, in the heat of an emotional battle you're having with yourself, often those decisions, when you look back at them, they tend to not be uh, the best ones. The other thing I can share with you is make sure that you have all of the money coming to you. And when you look at all the records, understand you know, at credit unions, they'll give you a thousand or two thousand dollars of insurance. It comes with the uh, account itself, but if you don't make a claim, that money's not going to get paid. On the other hand, insurance companies have now deposited into accounts billions, billions of dollars that has gone in reserve, waiting for someone to claim it. And I guess you could say, in the nicest way possible. Maybe the insurance companies haven't been quite as uh, active, shall we say, making sure that the money gets to its rightful owner. So when someone passes away in your family, go slow. Get all the books and records together. Make sure you know who the, the beneficiaries are because the operation of the law, and by operation of the law we mean uh, if you're a beneficiary, then that just takes care of it. There's some forms to fill out. There's nothing else to be done. Those things that will go through the probate court, they will be more involved. Make sure you have a lawyer that you like. Hopefully it's the lawyer who drafted the will, but in many cases when someone passes away, that lawyer is long since gone too. That's one of the reasons I, I've got a lawyer who's a lot younger than me because I think the odds are uh, my good friend Jamie Kircher is still going to be around when I am not. So between him and Mark Reckman, I think they can pretty well um, – I got it covered so there will be someone who knows my family who is there to help my family. Also, request a button. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply of death certificates from a practical manner. Best thing I can say to you is, uh, you know, get 10, 15, 20 copies, depending upon the number of counts and all the things you're going to have to do. You don't want to be going back and asking for those again for two reasons. One, because they're an emotionally fraught document. And secondly, uh, it's just a pain, and there's lots of other things you should be doing to keep yourself focused, particularly during a tough and trying time. So are your relationships feeling a little more stressed? How about your relationships are a lot more stressed? And we'll talk about that just ahead at 634. You'll listen to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You'll listen to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backpack along with Amy Wagner. One of the uh, definite uh, outcomes of staying in the same house uh, and being quarantined with somebody is you may finally uh, look at them and go, what am I doing with this person? That's why we've got Ross Evans, managing partner of Essex and Evans. Uh, he's been in domestic relations for a long time. He was originally in juvenile court. He's got a firm, Essigan Evans. And uh, how would you describe what you do, Russ? Well, we do everything from uh, uh, fertility and family law, so we can help create families and we can help take them apart, whatever you may and need. So, yes. So with, with that in mind, um, let's talk about uh, – uh, this could be the time when people are starting to say, you know – this has convinced me enough is enough. Is the, do you run to a lawyer right now? Do you call him up and well, say, you, uh, no, you, sir, you don't have to run to a lawyer. Look, the reality is the last six weeks has turned parenting, marriage, divorce, and just getting along with a partner on its head. Um, you know, we know that domestic violence has risen dramatically. Uh, I certainly want to say if you're in a difficult situation, every county has resources to help you, especially if you're sheltered with the abuser and you feel you can't go anywhere. You got to get out. You got to get that help. But we're going to see several things happen over the next six to eight months. Uh, We're going to see some couples and families that may have learned to get better at communicating and may have a better relationship with each other and their kids who are probably running the house right now. Uh, We're going to see couples that have decided that they don't wish to stay together and will be looking at process options for terminating their marriage. And we're going to have a baby boom from December 2020 to February 2021. 
uh, with as many of those babies born during marriage as out of wedlock. How families adjust for right now is really critical. So, you know, is it, uh, is there, is there, have we gotten rid, I guess, of that intermediate step where a couple says we've got problems and uh, we need to go to a counselor uh, or we need to uh, sit down with it with a, a third party or are you are we going to see couples go from you know I wasn't so sure about this to I'm totally out of here and don't bother talking to talking about stuff because I'm I'm convinced I mean what's your what's your experience been my my expectation is that uh, most of these couples especially if they've been having a lot of problems are going to want to find a process option uh, that is not a battle they are going to want to take advantage of process options such as mediation and collaborative law. Uh, maybe even just kitchen table negotiation where they're trying to work it out themselves. They're right. done with fighting. They don't want to fight. And for the most part, my expectation is the last thing they're going to want to do is file in court, which right now isn't even accessible, uh, but have a long, drawn-out court battle uh, to terminate the marriage. You're listening to Simply Money. Our guest is Ross Evans, one of the managing partners at Essig and Evans. They do domestic relations. They also do fertility. So I guess you could say, <laughs> I like the way you put it. You can start a family. You can break it up. And I'm not sure what there is uh, uh, in between. But let's talk about process options then. Because money's tight. Uh, going to, uh, new, going nuclear, uh, I think, only benefits uh, attorneys in many, many cases. So you talked about mediation, arbitration. What's the difference between the two? Why should you consider one versus the other? Well, let's talk about a couple of them. Number one, sometimes parties can sit down at a, literally at the kitchen table, figure out what they need to split up, figure out what they do. It may be a short-term marriage. They may not have kids, and they just have to split up the stuff. Right. Uh, sometimes they'll get attorneys who will help them in those negotiations. Uh, mediation is wonderful because with mediation, you are using a neutral professional who has trained in what needs to occur for parties to split up all of the pieces of the puzzle and can, as a neutral individual, help them make those decisions and help them hear each other. Collaborative law, which has been around for a long time, in fact, we're lucky here in Cincinnati, we have one of the oldest and most successful uh, collaborative practice groups, the Cincinnati Academy of Collaborative Professionals, mm -hmm. is the concept that if we change the way people talk about what they're doing and how they're doing it. And if we give them greater participation in the process, they can have more success in coming up with outcomes that are yes, yes. Uh, so, you know, we know that when you end up in court, you have a yes, no. You know, someone wins, someone loses. We can right. create win-wins for families. Now, there the, are the cynical, yeah, the cynical part of uh, many of us would be, yeah, that's great, but lawyers are lawyers, and ultimately, it's hard to get two lawyers and two party, two uh, two other parties, in this case, the husband and wife, together, and come up with a process where somebody doesn't have an agenda to try and get over on somebody else. And well, you're putting you're putting forward that with mediation or with with collaborative law, that can actually happen. Yes, it can. And with right. collaborative law, we can even bring in what we call a family relations specialist, which is a mental health professional who's trained in collaborative law to help the parties with their communication, looking for hotspots during meetings, 
and help reach resolutions as well. We can also bring in financial neutrals, uh, right. which is a, a very important piece in terms of dismantling the finances, understanding the finances, and coming up with great ways to divide the finances, yeah. uh, I know whether you, they we, have a lot or a little. We got a certified divorce financial analyst on our staff at All Worth, uh, Sandy Rogers, and I know she's done work in the past. Uh, yep. Coming in and uh, just giving, uh, okay, here's the analysis. Here's what that state teacher's retirement pension is worth, as an example, versus the $200,000 that uh, uh, the other party might have in a 401k. How do you figure out how to divide that up? And then how do you get some financial analysis in the process so it works? So if I would to and even, make it. Even more, important, even more important than that, Nathan, is that person is serving as a neutral. So both of the parties, the spouses, can feel comfortable regardless of what their knowledge is that the person that's working on the finances isn't the other spouse's lawyer who's trying to look for glitches or look for things to take advantage of. We don't do that in collaborative practice. In collaborative practice, everything is cards turned up. Our goal is to make sure that we're helping them come up with solutions that they like. And the reality is, and we can talk more about this in another session, is that we use interest-based negotiation, which is very, very different than the negotiation you're going to go into when you're buying your house. You're never going to tell someone when you're buying a house what you're really going to pay for that house. And they're never going to tell you what they're really going to take. So that negotiation, no one knows what anyone wants. But the reality is, if you go into interest-based negotiation and you understand the interest of what people are trying to achieve, you can come up with very creative outcomes. And we would hope, if this is your situation, that you'll figure out that maybe collaborative law or mediation is better than going nuclear. You've been listening to Simply Money, our guest Ross Evans with Essig and Evans, right here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrack along with Amy Wagner. Are you buying more restaurant delivery? And how can you make sure that your dollars are really going to support local businesses? That just ahead at 653. Warm weather. Oh, finally, it's here. And uh, I know if I said to you, let's talk about the B word budget, you'd have a few words for me and it probably wouldn't be happy birthday okay so let's talk instead then about ways that we might automate your financial life so that um you know you can do the budgeting and yet still have fun with whatever it is we're still allowed to do when it's warm out well and you mentioned the b budget and i think for a lot of people what you're picturing right now is excel spreadsheets that are color-coded holding on to every receipt you've ever gotten matching them up with every single one of your bills that's not what we're talking about all the time. An anti-budget is what I use, uh, and it works quite well. And I, I guarantee there is no color-coded Excel spreadsheet anywhere in my files. And here's what I do. I simply make sure that I automate my savings, the money that goes into my 401K. I have a health savings account, put money into 529 for my kids, those kinds of things. I do that first. Then the money that's left over, it's pretty simple. I make sure that that covers all of the bills, my credit card bill that I pay off every month, uh, hopefully there's a little bit left over, but if there's not, it's okay because I've actually saved first. That's the anti-budget. Pretty simple. You just yeah, have very to simple. make sure. Yeah, you just have to make sure that you're not spending more uh, than you're making. That's a good and uh, so a little miss simply money 
is actually not my wife, Marcy. She's real good at just keeping on top of me. Good luck. That's a thankless task. But my daughter, Leora, has figured out that there's no extra charge in her bank to have a million different savings accounts. And so uh, rather than try and figure it out, she has one account for the once a year, let's say the once a year ski trip that she organizes wherever they rent a house for a week. Okay. And then she's got the fund, which over the next three years has got to have like $10 a month because eventually she's going to need to have a 20% down payment on the next car. And then she's got another fund that's going to be the vacation fund for if and when she's ever able to do any any traveling that where she could at least feel good going into a rest stop, you know. So this is, but she's got all these different accounts. And for, but it's and automated, it, right? Yeah, it's, but that, yeah, the key is it's automated. And then like the Christmas account, she makes sure to keep her darn hands off of it so that she doesn't actually go, well, you know, things are a little tight this month. I'll go over there. So she takes automation and then she adds a little bit of discipline. There will be uh, automation plus discipline equals financial success. I'm sure that's a can be an equation that Einstein would have liked. Yeah, and one of the key things here when you're automating things is make sure that you're automating money and directing it to an emergency fund. If you didn't have one before and you didn't think the need of it, uh, look no further than the unemployment numbers for a reason why to have one. So that's where you automate things initially. Then you make right. sure that you're you know, maxing out those 401ks if you can, at least getting that company match. That's crucial. But all of those things can be automated where you know you can sleep well at night because you're taking care of your financial situation and your future, uh, but you're not spending a ton of time or, you know, reset resources or stress right. on it. And understand one thing that my daughter pointed out to me. Uh, this is great to hear from your kids, right? Uh, Dad, Regulation D. The federal reg that says you can't take more than six withdrawals a month and after which a bank can charge you a fee. Oh, that regulation? Yeah. So the savings accounts are fun, but understand that they're not checking accounts. They're not put-and-take accounts. And so you should commit to one once the money, whether it's an emergency fund or like my daughter does for different specific events, make sure that once it's in there, you're going to let it stay there. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrack along with Amy Wagner. It's getting warm. And, you know, your budgets might heat up, so we want to make sure that you're doing all the things that you can so that you don't uh, under-automate yourself and get your finances, either keep them on track or get them back on track. However, just as we've been saying, there's things you should automate. We also have a very strong feeling about a couple of things that you should not automate. Maybe years ago when you first started working for that company and you set up your 401k and there was 85 different forms you had to fill out, you just checked target date fund. And for a lot of you, it makes sense when you're maybe in your 20s or early 30s. And a target date fund is simply um, kind of geared toward when you're going to retire. So if you're going to retire in 2030, it is what someone decides is the right set of stocks and bonds and different investments for someone retiring in that year. The closer you get toward retirement, the more bonds there and the less stocks. That was fine probably when you first started out, but the closer you get to retirement, the more that money becomes real money, the more it's not a one-size kind of fits-all proposition. You're going to want to make sure that you're looking at your 401k. What is it invested in? And is it truly the right mix for you, not every other 55-year-old on the planet. Yeah, and keep in mind that as funds get uh, larger, this is also the time when you might say to yourself, mm, okay, uh, a target fund was great when I didn't know much. I was young. I was aggressive. Uh, you kept lots of money in stocks because what could, what, what could happen that you couldn't overcome? Now as you get in your late 40s, early 50s, you start to say, ooh, a couple more like the events like these, and uh, if I had to retire or get forced out, you could be in trouble. And so this might be the time 
If you find that you're wondering what's inside that target date fund that you own or, uh, gee, does it have the right allocation, and you measure the decline in that account by, wow, it's going to take me X amount of months to get or years to, to earn that much that I just lost back, that may be the time when you decide that uh, forget automating your investments. This might be the time when you sit down and find for yourself a real live uh, well, I was going to say 98.6, but I guess normal is not getting lower to that. Find yourself an advisor with a pulse, compassion, and way that you can relate to them, whether it's electronically or hopefully sooner than not, back in front of them. We're simply my point here. Automate what you can and get good help for what you can. Now, yeah, I think that you're calling a restaurant for takeout and you're supporting local businesses. Well, maybe. Then again... Maybe not. We'll talk about that just ahead in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Beckrack along with Amy Wagner. When you get delivery on Grubhub, here's the question for you. How much of that goes to the restaurant? How much of that supports local business? And how much of it goes to, I don't know, some high-tech center that's come up with software that's got all this stuff working for you? Well, here's the thing. When you're ordering, and you might be thinking, I'm going to order right now to get money into the local economy. If you're ordering through Grubhub or one of those delivery services, up to 30% of that is going straight to them. And I, I like this. I think this makes a lot of sense. Cincinnati City Council actually has a bill that they're considering right now, which would cap the maximum delivery fee at 15%. Uh, per order. There's a number of other big cities that have done that because so many of you are ordering from restaurants right now, thinking mm-hmm. that you're helping them, and the amount of money that they're actually getting back afterwards apparently covers the cost of the food. They're not yeah, even making enough to pay people. So this is great. Put in human terms, what is your typical level of tipping? Some of you would be, I'll give great if it's great service and lousy, you know, put you know the, 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 the nasty folks who put a penny underneath a uh, a glass, and they put the glass upside down, so you're going to make a mess when you, you know, that. Okay, there's everything in between, all right? So I think I've gotten both ends of the spectrum here. But here's how it plays out in real life. One uh, restaurateur, uh, restaurant owner said that of the $1,000 that they took in in orders, 376 went to Grubhub. Now, this is math I can do. That's 37.6% of the money went to the person who brought the food to you versus you getting in the car, let's say, and uh, going up to the restaurant, and uh, that's a thirty. I, I don't know anybody. I've never tipped somebody thirty-seven percent, and I'm a generous tipper. Well, no, and I think that's the thing, and I think a lot of local businesses went from okay. So, Taste of Belgium, they ninety percent of their business used to be, of course, you going into the restaurant or right. you at Finley Market, Beautiful and now one hundred. I know it does sound good, right? I'm kind of getting hungry as we talk about it. A hundred percent of their business now is carryout, and as they look at that they first of all looked at delivery and realized they couldn't do it. They could not make ends meet. So there is Jean Robert. There's a number of um, restaurateurs here in Cincinnati who said, listen, we looked into it and we cannot make the numbers work. So we can only do carry out. So for those of you who are truly ordering now because you want to make a difference, you want to keep these restaurant employees uh, employed, Understand if you're ordering it from Grubhub or places like that, right. they are not getting anywhere close to the amount of money that they would be getting otherwise. And then I wonder if they're getting a tip on top of that as well when they show up at your door smiling and go, Hi, here's a couple of bags of that food that you desperately want because you're tired of cooking and doing dishes. Thank you very much. Mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot. 
announced that uh, all the fees would have to be transparent. And Grubhub responded, mm, bad PR move here, saying, these are arbitrary disclosure rules. They do, they're they going to do exactly the opposite of their intent by causing confusion to the customer. Uh, I don't think so. I, don't I think, think when I take a look at how much they're getting, I'm going to go, yeah, I'm not confused at all. And I got, I, you know, and I guess I'm going to find other options. Understand this, too. If you are ordering from a restaurant and you go to Grubhub or something and then you call the number on the site for that particular restaurant, they're rerouting it. So you think you're calling them, but you're actually talking to someone at Grubhub. Make sure you're Googling that restaurant and calling them directly. Talk to a human being. Make sure that money gets local and stays local. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.